0: Morning, everybody. Happy Hump Day. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today, I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John.
1: Hey, morning, Cezz. Uh,
0: now, this is the People's Paper review. Remember, so get into the comments, everyone. Ask us your questions. We'll do our best to uh, put your minds at ease. Those of you listening later on podcast, we just have to hide the bodies until all traces of Novichok has disappeared. Right, what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the suggestion, speaking of Novichok, uh, by an anti-Putin activist called Bill Browder that the Russian leader plans to assassinate more enemies on British soil, just as he did with the Salisbury poisonings in 2018. Now, Browder, who is a, a tycoon that's provoked Putin's ire many years ago and has campaigned to you know, stop him ever since really, says he's going to embark on a killing spree, which will include all enemies in the UK. And I'm quoting him there. He's going to embark on a killing spree. Now, here's a little clip I think we've got of the kind of thing that Bill Browder has been saying.
2: Well, what we have here is is Russians protesting against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. These are these are people in the opposition to Putin. Everybody talks about how the Russians are brainwashed. These people aren't brainwashed. These are Russian citizens, Russian emigres who are saying that Putin's murderous war in Ukraine is not OK. That's a very important thing to be seeing right now.
0: And that's the kind of thing that, that Browder says about Putin. He's very much out there, out and proud. He's got huge amounts of personal security. He's had death threats and goodness knows what else is a result of his kind of constant uh, work to stop Putin. One of the things he's been doing has been trying to uh, block and freeze a- financial assets of, of Russia and its oligarchs all around the world. So it's part of the reason Putin really doesn't like him. But John, can you take us through this? Because he's been talking separately to our colleague Chris Hughes today uh, in the paper. What's What are his allegations really? What does he think is going to happen?
1: Yes, it says there on the front page today, chilling warning, and it is a pretty chilling warning. His basic argument is after Alexei Navalny died last week in Russia, he believes that Putin will feel emboldened. He will feel that he can do whatever he wants without there being much consequence. And he reckons there's about 12, a mixture of UK and Russian citizens living in the UK, who he thinks would be on a Putin hit list, who he'd quite like to get rid of. And he suggests that on the back of the killing of Navalny, Putin might think, well, I can get away with that as well. And we obviously saw back in 2018, remember the Salisbury poisonings, when we had Yerge uh, Scripple and his daughter Yulia were killed, or they weren't killed. They were poisoned with Novichok. They weren't killed. It ends up being Dawn Sturgis, who was someone who came across the yeah. bottle Novichok had been in, who actually was the one who did get killed. And so I think that it's probably likely that Putin may feel that he can get away with whatever he wants. He's obviously killed, uh, or it seems like he killed Navalny in open sight in a prison in Russia. And as much as the West has talked about possibility of further sanctions on Russia. At the point at this moment in time, we haven't actually seen them uh, happen. I think, though, if you did start to see Putin killing more people on UK soil, you would see some sort of response. So remember, after the scripples, we saw the UK got rid of loads of Russian uh, spies from the UK, and other countries around the world did the same. Remember it was that time when it was Theresa May was in power, Donald Trump was in power in the US, and there were concerns that Donald Trump was possibly a bit soft on Putin. But actually, Theresa May did manage to persuade him to kick out loads of Russian spies from the US as well. And maybe people will think, well, that wasn't really much. That's not really impacted Putin that much. Is that really a price that he's going to be scared that he will have to pay again? Possibly not. Um, and we've seen after Ukraine that obviously there have been quite severe sanctions that have been brought in by the UK, the US, and other countries but still uh the Russian economy is still managing to chug along he's still managing to get money to be able to fund their war effort in Ukraine and so there is always the scary possibility that he might feel that he can get away with whatever he wants and to start to start kind of knocking off some of his uh critics around the world rather than just in Russia
0: yeah now bill brad probably has some connections i'd imagine with the intelligence community so some of the stuff that he may know he's not going to reveal Um, and he doesn't sort of present any evidence particularly in the piece that we've got here from chris about who or what or how many people are going to be affected by this but he's got a fairly specific number he says 12 and on uk soil and what he does know bill brad because he knows putin so well and has studied him and battled with him and so on he knows these kind of killings tend to come in waves of his of his opponents he tends to sort of go after them, you know, when he's in the mood for some reason or another. And obviously, having killed Alexei Navalny, one of the things that Brad is saying is just, well, this is the start of the next wave of what's going to happen. But why would Putin, do we think, would, would do this, would target people in the UK, if that's, what, if that's true, if that happens? Do we have a lot of Russian dissidents here or something? Or is it just something he's got against us in particular?
1: It's not really spelled out in the comments from Bill Browder. I imagine it's that uh Putin just is going to target critics in all corners of the globe, wherever they are. And it just happens to be that there are 12 or so that Bill Browder thinks they're in the UK who might be possible targets. Um, but I don't think Putin really minds where they are, whether they're in the UK or whether in Canada or whether in Australia. I think the point he's making is there are several people here that he would like to get rid of. And as we know, Putin doesn't accept any sort of criticism. And obviously, Russia isn't really a proper democracy. There'll be elections, I think, later this year. But we know that those aren't going to be real elections, that people aren't really going to have a choice on whether they want Putin to stay or not.
0: No, I would imagine and hope as well that... Um... Yulia Navalny, uh, Alexei's widow, should be the one who's, who's watching her back most closely just at the moment. Now, I think we do have a bit of video of Bill uh, Braddard's interview with Chris Hughes. we just going to play a little bit of it for you. I,
2: well, I think the uh, murder of Alexei Navalny is a, uh, is a game changer. Uh, the fact that Putin would kill the most popular, prominent opposition politician in plain sight um, without any fear of repercussions says that yeah. people who are opposing Putin in Russia and abroad mm. are now at a much more serious risk of of uh, assassination when is it two thousand and eighteen I think one dawn Sturgis d- died a few months after the attack on S-
1: the scripples uh, d- as far as you're aware i mean I know that you i imagine you can't say too much about your security, but do you do you think that sort
2: of thing could happen again in britain? I, I think that that um, putin uh, all restraints Putin has lost all restraints with the murder of Alexei Navalny, and he will um, embark on a international killing spree which will include his enemies in the u k
0: so that's really rather chilling when you sort of see the way bill's talking about it now we've had. We've had the incident with set with the Scripples in Salisbury, which caused poor, a number of innocent victims, including a police officer, but um, the one who died was Dawn Sturges, he just happened to pick up the bottle, like you said, John. We also had the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in London a few years earlier with radioactive tea that had been smuggled into the UK. We found a number of people, some of them financiers, who seemed to have fallen out of windows suspiciously, like a lot of, uh, it seems to be one of Putin's signature moves, lots of thought that some of them may have been connected to him for that. And none of this stuff is good. It's always pretty big and bold moves, though. You can tell it's it's Putin because it's just so weird, whatever it is that happens. I mean, we should be able to stop some of these things before they get too far. But do you get the sense, I suppose, John, from some of your conversations in Westminster, that other government worried about this sort of thing? Or is it just, you know, one of those background hums of you know a security threat that is just one of many
1: well, i think that obviously the government is concerned as you say we have seen the past history in the uk where putin has come and tried this before and those words there from bill Browse are pretty chilling when he talks about an international killing spree i think that um Putin isn't someone who the government just think oh yeah he just talks the talk but doesn't actually follow through with his threats we know he is someone who for uh before he invaded Ukraine there was all the signs that he was going to do it he was building up all the weaponry on the border with Ukraine Although at that point he was saying oh no it's just an exercise I'm not planning an invasion then obviously he did I think that the UK takes very seriously what uh, Putin does and obviously um, is very cautious about different things that they could try, particularly because of that history when we have seen the attempts to kill people on British soil.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've also, we've got this sort of situation, I suppose, where as a result of all the things that Putin's done up to now, it's now Russia is one of the most heavily sanctioned countries in the world. I mean, what do you think, everybody out there watching this? Are you concerned that, that Putin's going to do something more and do it on British soil? Or is it something you're not particularly bothered about? Is this just what despots do? They tend to sort of put a finger out and kill people somewhere and it doesn't affect most of us. Are you worried about, you know, sending hitmen to the UK again, whether it's with radioactive tea or Novichok or goodness knows what else next time? Um, one of the things that Bill was talking about in his interview with Chris there was the Magnitsky Act, which is something that was named after his lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was murdered by Putin. And Bill Browder started this thing on a Magnitsky Act, which kind of allowed countries around the world to freeze Russian assets, uh, which is one of the reasons Putin really hates him. And they've frozen about 240 billion dollars and what bill would like to do is is sit, actually grab those assets now they're frozen actually take them and use it to pay for reparations on the war in ukraine and other things uh, and he says that various governments around the world have supported that happening but the british government alone um is is the one that doesn't really want to Play ball on it. And it's not just seizing the assets, but also sort of doing prisoner swaps. There's um another sort of activist who's in jail, a journalist, I think, who's in jail in Russia that Bill Browder wants to get out. And apparently he's told, you know, the British government doesn't want to get involved in talking about prisoner swaps and things like this. You know, if Putin actually did something like this on our soil, firstly, we don't want to get too involved. Secondly, there's the war in Ukraine to deal with. And thirdly, um, you know, we've already sanctioned them a lot. What more could we possibly do? I mean, what what would happen if Putin actually did go and kill 12 people on British soil tomorrow?
1: Well, I think that is one of the things, this idea that the assets that have been seized but at the moment they are just frozen, they're just stuck there, nothing's being done with them. There have been calls that that money should be unlocked and that money should be spent on uh rebuilding Ukraine that is Russia that's caused the damage in Ukraine and therefore it is right and just that Russia should pay the price and that Russian assets should be used to fund that that is an argument that some are making already in the international community and I think if you did see uh Putin go further by starting to launch more you know this international killing spree as Bill Browder describes it then i think then you would see much more uh support for an idea such as that on the um world stage
0: yeah it would be the kind of thing that they have to do next because they've done everything else i suppose in one sense now luke says that um if you have his comment back up i think it was luke said that putin needs to bring an end to this war it's gone on too long really uh, i think it, well, the thing is, putin started the war luke um and the the reasons i think for it are so manifold, but you know, within Russia, if he were to end it without having won it, I don't think that would be politically difficult for him to survive. Uh, and he's probably not going to be able to win it uh, if the Allies keep supplying Ukraine, and Ukraine can't win it on its own. So we're sort of stuck in a bit of a stalemate. Mike says, "Under Grant shaps with our country's aircraft carriers inoperable and nuclear missiles seemingly having a range of 20 feet before they splash down in the water, what the hell would we do if Russia invaded I've thought about this many times, Mike, and as a parent of a young child, I'll tell you what we would do. We could put all the preschoolers along the white cliffs of Dover, and they'd take out the infantry in a week, because, or 24 hours, because the number of bugs and lurgies and random, horrible, vicious colds that small children get, it would be the worst kind of nerve agent and biological warfare we could possibly expel on them. Um, There isn't, but on a more serious note, John, there isn't really much, apart from seizing those assets, we're not gonna go to war with Russia, are we? Because nuclear weapons, right?
1: No, I think it's never going to be the West that's starting the war with Russia. It's obviously the risk that Putin decides he doesn't want to stop at Ukraine and that he will carry on. And that's why you've heard people like the head of the army a couple of weeks ago talking about, do we have enough soldiers ready if we did end up with a ground war, with tanks rolling towards us? And do we need to start thinking about things, not just having the territorial army, but do you have... Other ways of suddenly, if you did need to have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands extra, extra British soldiers, how would you quickly sign them up? Do you need something like a citizens' army where people could quickly? Leave their jobs and end up fighting for Britain if we did end up in that horrible circumstance.
0: Yeah, or conscription, which is uh, one of the things that they're having to sort of do in Ukraine at the moment because they can't find volunteers anymore. Funnily enough, uh, and Mike says that was exactly the plot of War of the Worlds. Let's, <laughs> let's try not to let's try not to be there too early on a Wednesday morning, Mike. Um, now to the main story of the day. Uh, which is there are more problems for the government as a result of the post office scandal. Now, this was, if those have been under a rock recently, this is a faulty computer system called Horizon, which was wrongly totting up the transactions in the post office, which meant that various uh, thousand or so postmasters and postmistresses were accused of theft, which they hadn't committed. Some were jailed, some died, some committed suicide. It was awful. Now, it's being reported again on page six of the Mirror, today that David Cameron's government knew more about all of this than it has let on now John what are the allegations exactly what do we think now happened
1: yeah so at the center of this I mean anyone who watched uh Mr Vates versus the post office will have a vague idea of this the kind of central issue was when all of the postmasters were finding that when they went to tally up their money at the end of the day, the sums didn't add up and the amount of cash they had didn't match what it was saying they should have on the computer. And loads of people suddenly found they were hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds, sure. And one thing that the post office did was say to them, well, no one else is having these issues, it's just you. And another thing they were saying was, well, the only person who can change the figures is you. There's no one else who can change the figures. And the thing that Alan Bates and his fellow postmasters was trying to prove was that actually people at Fujitsu, who is the company behind this Horizon software, were able to dial in remotely and could change the figures that were appearing in people's accounts. And the post office for years said this wasn't the case. That was impossible. The only people who could touch numbers were the um postmasters themselves in their individual branches and one of the things that's come up now is the bbc have done this investigation and they've done loads of freedom information requests they've got hold of loads of documents and it looks like back in 2014 the post office commissioned this investigation which suggested there were ways that um fujitsu could go in and change the numbers in people's accounts And after that investigation was launched, a second investigation was started in 2016 that was looking at this. And then around that time, Alan Bates and the 555 postmasters started their court action against the post office, against their um, convictions, because the post office accused them of stealing money. And at this point, the post office thought, well, let's put that investigation that we're doing into this problem on hold. They told the government, oh, we were looking into this, but while this court action's going on, we're just gonna put it on hold. Uh, The BBC's seen documents that show that the post office told Baroness Neville Rolfe, who was a minister in David Cameron's government. And then it wasn't until 2019 when that court case finally came to an end, that it was became clear and the high court judge said that it was clear that there was a way that you could change the numbers remotely that it wasn't uh just the postmasters who were able in control of the numbers and so i guess the kind of point here is that they went through all of that some people served time in jail and all the time there were some people in the post office who were aware there could be a problem here but i think it's all got a bit complicated in the last few days. The key issue now is there are plenty of postmasters who still haven't had proper compensation. That after that drama was on ITV over Christmas, there was all this anger, and people said, "Well, this is totally wrong." Lots of people. <coughs> Stop. I think I've got the. Uh... You've
0: got you've got the small child's cough. That's the problem. It, it the happens. This up. is my point. The Russian infantry would never survive, John. So if I'll, while you have your cough, I'll just sort of sum up a bit. So we, <laughs> so we've, what we've got is a situation where people were convicted because only they were in control of the transactions in their post office. And then it transpired, or the allegations always were, that actually someone else could also have affected it. Whether they did or not, it didn't matter. It just meant it, those convictions would be unsafe if someone else had access to the same computer system. And the post office then was accused of doing this wrong and started investigating whether or not it had done something wrong and whether these convictions were unsafe. And then as soon as a legal case begins by the post office, by the postmasters, saying uh, our convictions are all unsafe, they decided to stop the investigation into whether or not those convictions were unsafe. On the advice of lawyers, now the only reason I can think of to do that, if if you're good and decent and upfront, you know, organisation or person, if you're being sued for something you've supposedly done wrong, you would carry on investigating whether you've done it wrong, because if you're confident that you are in the clear, that would be how you fight the court case, right? If, if on the other hand, you think it, that inquiry is going to make you look bad, then you might stop it, because that would mean you lose the court case, and that would make you deceitful. So it, you know, the only reason to stop that inquiry is because you know it's not going to be happy result for you but i suppose the one of the more pressing questions for the government of the day well the government of that day as well as today is it, why would david cameron's government and the ministers who saw this at the time why would they not have cared enough about this to take more notice of it it sounds like You know, one of a number of pieces of paper crossing a junior minister's desk, and they go, "Yes, right. Yes, right. Okay." And because it wasn't in the news cycle, you know, the TV ITV hadn't made the drama yet, that they just didn't take much interest in it. They didn't stop and go, "Hang on, you're doing what? Is that really how we're governed? Is that is that how they think?"
1: Well, I think the argument is that some people, whether that was in Fujitsu or whether in the post office were deliberately trying to make this issue go away. And the argument that some people in government have made is that, yeah, they were aware there was something, but they didn't realize the scale of it. They didn't quite realize uh, the injustice that was going on. But you know, we can't rewind the past. We cannot, mistakes were clearly made, but we can't go back and correct them now what the government now can do is make sure that those postmasters do get full and proper compensation. As I was saying before I descended into coughing, Um, after that drama was on TV over Christmas, there was loads of anger, people finally woke up to this issue, people might have seen stories about it in the past, but I know for me personally, it wasn't until I watched that drama and sat down and properly engaged with it, I thought, goodness me, this is absolutely terrible what these people went through. So we're all, I think most people are now in that place. Most people have clocked that this is a major issue, something went terribly wrong, but yet the Postmasters still haven't got the compensation they feel they deserve. And so last month, Alan Bates got an offer of compensation, but he said it was an insult. It was just a sixth of what he'd asked for and i think that the pressure now is on ministers to we can have these complicated discussions about documents and what was said in 2014 Mm. and 16 and who knew what and whatever but i think until those postmasters get the compensation i think everyone feels they deserve then this issue hasn't properly been sorted and it's not going to go away and the government can delay they can hold put this off they can come up with all sorts of arguments But I think the public are rightly really angry about this. And so therefore, if they don't think the government has taken proper action, there's gonna be a serious problem for the government. And remember, we're in an election year. It won't be that long before voters get their say on who they want to be in number 10 and ministries across Whitehall. And I think if the government can't say to the public, we dealt with this issue properly, then there will be uh, that people will find that they aren't willing to support the government anymore.
0: No. I mean, just, what do you think, everybody? Do you think this is something that could just be put to bed tomorrow and just resolved and fixed and that's it, pay them and just don't ask any more questions about it? Or do you think that they have to have this sort of deep, um, you know, go through the intestines and look and see who did what and who said what to whom at what point and that that's the thing that matters and how you fix it. There's several different ways of looking at it. And all this... It really comes on top of claims um, this week that a civil servant apparently told a recent post office chairman to go slow on the compensation for those who are wrongly convicted. Kenny Badenoch, the minister in question, says that's uh, all been made up. Uh, the memo that the post office chairman wrote at the time has now been produced, and he blames a civil servant called Sarah Mumby, who said, and he quoted, uh, politicians do not necessarily like to confront reality. Don't we know it? And now is not the time for dealing with it. Um So it sort of pretty much substantiates what he said. And uh, on Twitter, um, the Right Honourable Lord Zoltan, I think that's his real name, says, if Badenock had half a brain, she would have lined things up to dump on the anonymous civil servants rather than splashing petrol everywhere. One of the things that always happens, John, whenever we talk about the post office thing is someone will come into the comments, and I hope there's someone there now doing exactly this, saying, "Do you know what? this is a Labour scandal? This isn't the Tories' problem. Horizon was set up under under the Blair government. Uh, it was under the Blair and Brown governments that these convictions went through, and the post office was wrongly pushing through these deeply flawed convictions. They didn't do anything about it." Um, they ignored that wave. Uh, why is it the Tories then are handling this so badly? Because it's it's an open goal film. They could say this is a Labour scandal. We've fixed it. There's the compensation and Labour can pay the bill after the next election. It would be easy to do that. Why are they, why are they handling it so badly?
1: Yeah, I think that's a big question. And I think that the question of compensation, you think particularly with someone like Alan Bates, who's captured people's imagination the fact that they still haven't been able to sort out his case i think says a lot But also remember that a few weeks ago after this drama came out the government said it was going to um quash all the convictions of the hundreds of messengers who've been wrongly um, convicted of taking money and they said that legislation would be coming imminently to deal with that We've still not had that legislation, I think it's possible that we see it even within the next few days, and people can understand that this is complicated, we haven't done things like this before, so maybe there is reasons why it is taking a bit of time, but you would think when there is such public anger on this issue that the government would just want to show that they're getting on with dealing with this.
0: Yeah, otherwise the scandal, which should be Labour's scandal, sort of gets branded with the lovely blue Conservative Party torch because they've they're the ones who've been seen to fluff it up just after everyone's in Mr. Bates drama and is incredibly cross about it, really. So where do we go next with this? What happens next? Because the the this post office chairman Henry Staunton's been called to the Select Committee to give some evidence about this memo business next week. Doesn't that, again, it's like it's still in the weeds, isn't it? It's dealing with the detail rather than the actual fundamental problem. What happens after that?
1: Yeah, so Henry Staunton's uh, going to appear, or he's been invited to appear at the Commons Business Committee next week um so i think the row's not going away another person who's being called to appear is um alan bates himself liam byrne the um chair of the committee has said that he wants to hear from alan bates himself what exactly does the government need to do now to sort this out and as i say i just don't think that the row is totally going to go away until people like alan bates have got the compensation that they deserve
0: exactly and there's all there's lots of detail needs to be gone into plainly but uh, Rahir says no um I suppose he's talking about the compensation and the exonerations mass exoneration he says this rewards the guilty the thing is Rahir it's not clear who's guilty and who isn't and our um if, if 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 a large chunk of those convictions are unsafe you've got to assume that even those who might be really guilty might also have their convictions that are unsafe. And our justice system in this country does not say, look, you you keep convictions that are unsafe because you've got one or two people that probably did do it. Our justice system in this country is built on the fact that everyone who's innocent gets away and is free to go. And if that includes one or two people who are guilty, that that is the better way to have it weighted rather than sucking a load of people who are guilty and one or two innocents. We have to do it the other way around. And that's just the way our system is set up and it's the it's the fairest one that we've arrived at after several thousand years james says someone needs to go to jail lots of people have gone to jail but i think he's saying someone new the personal persons who gave the order to prosecute innocent people needs themselves to be prosecuted that would be something which hopefully the, the post office inquiry is going to come up with at uh, some point. Some uh, I don't think they recommend prosecutions so much as, um, you know, ways to fix it and avoid it happening again in the future. Hopefully the post office won't get to keep making the prosecutions because they don't seem to be very good at it. Um, John, very quickly before we move on to good news, do we know when that post office inquiry is going to have its final conclusions?
1: Oh, don't test me. Uh, I think it's going to be the end of the year. Yeah. Um, They've set out a timetable of the next set of hearings. I can't remember how long they quite go on for. But I think the thing that um, has been said repeatedly is the aim is that the inquiry wraps up by the end of this year. So still a few months possibly to go.
0: Yeah, and then it would be still a few months after that before the the final report gets published. And so probably well well into the next government. <laughs> unfortunately, before we start hearing actually what the results of the inquiry are and any possible uh, further ramifications that might come out of it. We'll have to see how that all goes, won't we? Right. Thank you, everyone, for, for those. And thank you, John, for explaining that. Now, we have managed to find some good news in the world. Good news for most of us anyway. Here it is. now by more politics uh, may may annoy brenda from bristol and quite a lot of us as well but it's meat and potatoes to people like john uh, and me but there's uh, another one due a, a by election if i'm if the 11th if i'm counting this right as a result of a lobbying scandal involving blackpool south tory mp scott benton now, if you vote Labour, the chance to vote one or the other side out is grand. If you vote Tory, well, you, you're probably thinking much the same way as the Labour voters at the moment, which is sort of half the problem they've got. <clears throat> and if you if you think the current electoral system is just terrible, you don't want to vote for any of them, then a recall petition, which is what we're looking at, and a by-election is, is real people power. So it's also something you might be approving of. But John, while it's good news for the rest of the country, that this is absolutely terrible news for Rishi Sunak, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we've had that run of by-elections that have been pretty miserable for him. All these Tory seats that have had massive majorities. I mean, I'm struggling to name all of the ones we've had in recent months. Was it Selby and Ainsty? uh Allegra, Yeah, uh, was last week. Kingswood. Wasn't there
0: one near Cheltenham?
1: <coughs> Somerton's Froome. Yeah, um, there's, there's one, there
0: was some stuff that the Lib Dems won in the South West, and then Labour seems to have well, up.
1: Um, I don't know why I tried to start listing them because I knew I'd forget them as soon as <laughs> I started doing that, and my mind would go blank. There were anyway, to the massive Tory majorities that Labour have managed to overturn. I think the one in Wellingborough was about eighteen thousand, which is obviously a pretty significant uh, majority to be able to overturn. And this one coming up in Blackpool South should be. Fairly easy win for Labour. Scott Benton, who is the current MP, who looks like he probably will be ousted he won it for the Tories in 2019 by 3,690 votes, which is much smaller majority than someone's Labour have overturned recently. And so I think when this by-election does take place, if it happens in the next months or so, if we haven't had a general election by then, I think it's probably quite likely that Labour will overturn it. And so yeah, there'll be more misery for Rishi Sunak, and we will start having these conversations, or Tory MPs will at least about whether Rishi Sunak's the best person to set him into the next election or not.
0: Oh dear, look at that face. I mean, Probably not. A good way of remembering the by-elections I think, rather than trying to remember what the constituencies called, because some of them have odd names, is remember their circumstances. So you've got the tractor-porn by-election, you've got the gambling-lobbying by-election, you've got the pinching-bottoms by-election, you've got the, uh, you know, a couple of deaths and various... You can always remember what they did wrong to spark the by-election I tend to find. But um, do you think, is this proof that, you know, Rishi there he can delay an election all he likes because it's within his power but eventually those elections are going to happen anyway just you know even if it is one at a time he's going to it's just death by a thousand cuts isn't it like this we just wait for by elections isn't it in his interest really just to go to the country and say do you know what california's waiting
1: yeah and obviously he's going to have to hold the election at some point this year or maybe in january next year i think is the very latest he would be able to hold it i think that the hope on the tory side is Obviously at the moment you've got the economy in recession, which is possibly not the best backdrop to call an election. They're very much hoping that maybe we offer some tax cuts in the budget next month. Maybe the economy does perk up ever so slightly and maybe people do think, well, maybe I'll give the Tories another go. But if you look at the polls, it doesn't look like that's the position people are in. And when you look in the details of polls, things like people are asked questions like if in the budget there were loads of tax cuts, do you think that would be make you more likely to vote Tory? It's only quite a small chunk of people who say that would really make a difference to how they vote. And so that is pretty miserable news for Rishi Sunak.
0: Yeah, there's pretty much nothing he can do. I think a, a personal check for you, you probably afford to give every person in the country about 100 quid. And it's just, mate, we don't, it's not going to make a difference. Mike says, will his recall help Rishi decide to put in with a May general election? I keep saying this, John. Um, he doesn't want to go in May because all the reasons you've said, we've got the recession and things are looking grim. But if he doesn't go to at the end of March, if he doesn't call the election at the end of March, which means a May the second general election, the same day as the locals, then the local elections would mean the Tory activists will get cleaned out and there's no one to go and campaign for him later in the year. The practicality says he ought to do it in May. Is, is Rishi sensible enough to do it in May?
1: yeah i think that is something that is on their kind of dashboard of flashing lights is these local elections in may because if you don't hold the general election on the same day then you end up losing loads of councillors Number one, it is really bad for morale. You start to get those conversations happening again about whether Rishi Sunak's the right person to take the party into the election. And as you say, number two, if you lose loads of Tory councillors, your activists that you rely on to go out and knock on doors and leaflet places, if you've lost your seat as a councillor and you blame Rishi Sunak for that, a couple of months later, you're not very likely to go and be willing to go and campaign for him at a general election.
0: No, well, maybe that's a bit of good news to end on then. Is that maybe it will be happening in May? And while the bit of good news, just before we go, I think we've got a graph of current mm-hmm. voting intentions. Let's look. Didding! Well, uh, so the, the Labour is ahead. 44% of people, or voters, reckon they're going to vote Labour at the next general election. Only 24%. The Tories made 20 points ahead. Reform Party and the Lib Dems are on about equal at about 10%. Greens, SNP, UKIP, well down the bottom. Um, but this doesn't, I mean that that kind of looks on the face of it, that's those that poll is really steady. It's been steady uh, since September last year. It's just a flat line. Labour's well ahead. But uh wasn't Theresa May 20 points ahead in 2017 and then did terribly badly at the polls. It could all go wrong, couldn't it still?
1: Oh uh, yeah, things can really change quickly. Also, remember, um, I remember twenty seventeen. There were local elections during the um, during the actual general election campaign, which was a bit weird. And I remember Theresa May did really well in those. And then I had to go to some event with her on a Friday where she was trying to n- not look too happy, which actually to be honest, <laughs> wasn't probably that hard for Theresa May. But she didn't want to look like she was celebrating too early because she still wanted to make it look like the. Um, election was still up for grabs. And it actually turned out it really was up for grabs. But then I also remember 2019 we had, was it early 2019 we had those last set of European elections which Theresa May, which we had by accident because we hadn't managed to leave the EU in time. And the Tories did catastrophically badly in those. And then remember what happened at the end of that year in December, 2019, we had Boris Johnson take over. And we had that brexit election when the Tories obviously won that massive seat majority
0: mm. well that's all the good news completely destroyed thanks john that's the ending on a lovely note for all our viewers now it could still happen of course may general election very soon you get a chance to express your view at the polls let's just take the good democratic news out of that um, or not, or not, or not. Um, and make sure you've got your voter ID and make sure you're registered to vote or you don't get a chance to do it. Um, thank you, John, for taking us through all that. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. And we will see you all again on Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Till then, everybody, stay safe and tattie bop